Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. But, uh, but today, we're going to be talking about the second way that we can love like Jesus, and that is an interesting one, and one that will challenge us. It's going to gross us out, but it's one that I think has modern-day applications we've got to figure out, but it's washing feet. Washing feet. There's this story where we see Jesus doing something that at the time was considered completely unthinkable. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Jesus was constantly shocking people with his seemingly irrational acts of love, irrational acts of love, ways that are countercultural. If you think about forgiving sinners, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, that's countercultural because right now we live in a cancel culture, right? So forgiving a sinner Praying for your enemy, loving your enemy, turning the other cheek. That is an irrational act of love according to our culture that we live in. And yet Jesus said that to people, right? Remember what he said, you have heard it said, which in other words was, it's in all your rule books, it's in the law, you are, it's a social standard. These are the constructs of our normal society. You've heard it said, you believe this, you live this every day, but I say instead, right? Forgive sinners, jaw drops. Today is another example of that, washing feet. Jesus was constantly shocking with irrational acts of love. So I want to open up um, right now to John, the book of John, John chapter 13. If you guys have your Bibles or your smartphones or tablets, open them up to John chapter 13. It's the fourth gospel, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, it's the fourth book of the New Testament. Open up your Bible to the New Testament. The fourth um, book there is is the book of John. Um, and John chapter 13, it reads this, beginning in verse 1, it says, it was just before the Passover festival, just before the Passover festival, which we know was a sacred time, uh, marking back to when when God delivered the people of Israel from Egypt, um, and the Passover celebration is when, is when they commemorate that the angel went past over the doorposts of the, Egyptian, of the Israelite people because they had the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. And uh, so this is a time now where the Passover celebration is coming. No coincidence that Jesus, the lamb of God, the lamb who takes the sin of the world away would be crucified, right? That the blood of the lamb covers our hearts. Huh? Right? So we have this. There's no coincidence that this is the time that Jesus is about to have the Passover meal with his disciples and then go to the cross. Right? So it says that it was just before the Passover celebration. And Jesus knew, he knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, I love this, he loved them to the end. I love that. And we see, right, that this part right here, I mean, obviously it was written in the future of this moment. It was written retrospectively, right? So John wrote this book when he was an old man, looking back over his life, over his time with Jesus. And he had a lot of time to process 
you know, everything that happened. Remember the memories, you know. I don't know if you've ever done this. I do this a lot. We actually have all these photos in Google Photos that we that back up. And I saved everything that was on our hard drives, like thousands, well over 10,000 photos. We live in a digital age, obviously, you know, that are all uploaded to Google Photos. And we have them set as a screensaver on our Roku device on our TV in the living room. And occasionally, Heather and I will uh, sit down or with the kids and we'll sit down and we'll, we'll just pull up one of the albums of an old trip that we took or something. We'll go back and look at like our kids when they were little, right? Like you kind of want to look back on your life and look back over things and remember things. And this is what the gospels are when they're relating to Jesus. They're thinking through the photo albums of like Jesus in their mind and thinking that about some of the most memorable moments. And this is one of them. And one of the things that stands out to John is he loved them till the end. So much so that he put it there. I mean, if you think about it, if you're writing a, a memoir or a retrospective, you're not going to say every little thing that happened. What you're going to put in are the things that mattered the most to you, right? The things that mattered the most. And what does John say? Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Verse 2. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. So this is a Thursday night, right? That's what this is, the Thursday night. Friday was Passover festival would begin. Friday night, the Sabbath would begin. Saturday is the Sabbath, and Sunday morning is, uh, is the beginning of a new week. And they were meeting in this upper room, this meeting where this room where they were, uh, Jesus knew that he was going to be, um, you know, where people were going to be coming for him. So they went to a secluded private space. He knew he was about to give his life. It says that specifically. He knew the hour had come, right? And then John links it with he loved them to the end. And this is going to set the stage for what's about to happen here. Gospel, not what we're reading at the moment, another version of it. So there are four gospels. They're called the synoptic gospels because many of the stories that we see in each of them link up with each other and we get slightly different details. Why is that? People say, what about contradictions? No, if you were to tell me, if three of you were to tell me the events of Saturday that you spent together and tell me what happened, I would probably get slightly different versions of each one because you each saw it through your own eyes, right? And that's what happens in the Synoptic Gospel. So what we see in Luke's version of this story is that just before they get to the dinner, they're all arguing. They're all arguing about, about who's the greatest. This is so interesting to me. Jesus, can you imagine? This is like a parent. This is like parents who go to like vacation with their kids or they're about to have a special family moment or something. They're having this meaningful moment and then they get into a fight in the car with their kids on the way. This happens to people. Any of you ever done this? Have you been a kid and been that in that with your, with your family, with your parents? You can, you, for whatever reason, you're, you, you are like with a best friend or something and you're going to some special occasion and things just are not going the way that you want them to, this is what happened with Jesus. Jesus is on his way. He knows the, the clock is ticking, right? Even if it was a week, if we don't know the exact timeline, but he's on his way, they're on the road, they're on their way to this place and then this argument spins up. They see behind them, like he hears like Peter and John and Bartholomew and the two, the other Johns, like all just talking about like, like, like what it's going to be like. And, and they, he, Jesus hears one of them go, um, 
No, I'm better than you. I walked on water. Oh, yeah, well, I'm the one that Jesus loved, right? John says the one that Jesus loved. Like, that's, that's what he calls himself in the book of John. And, G and Peter is like, but I got to walk on water, and you didn't do that. And then one of them has the audacity to walk up to Jesus and go, hey, Jesus, when, I, um, when will you come into your kingdom? Can I sit next to you on the throne? Like, like, there's all of this, like, infighting that's happening about who's better than the other, who's greater than the other. And I can imagine them sitting at the dinner table, just sitting there like this argument's still going on. And Jesus is just like, you know, just, just like, like flashing in his eyes about what he's about to go, his imagination, his humanity in his mind about what he's about to go through on the cross and what it means and the divinity in him telling him what it is going to mean. And meanwhile, his children are like bugging each other. Stop hitting me. Stop touching me. Like this kind of stuff that happens right? All of this is happening at this moment. And on the way, Jesus tells them, the greatest among you will be your servant. This is in Matthew. So we see across three separate gospels, right? The gospel of John that we're in this story right now, the gospel of Luke that talks about this fight, and then the gospel of Matthew, Matthew 23, 11, where Jesus looks at them in the eye and says, shut up, stop it. Like he probably didn't say shut up, but maybe he did. I don't know. He says, stop fighting. Whoever of you wants to be the greatest among you will be a servant. A servant. Get it through your skulls now. Your life is not about yourself. The Son of Man did not come to be served. The Son of Man did not come for the well. He came for the sick. He came to be a servant. And the, the one who will be the greatest among you will be a servant. So back to John. John chapter 13. That's the stage, right? So they're sitting there at this dinner sitting there, and the evening meal was about to be eaten. They're fighting, they're arguing. In John 13, verse 3, it says, So Jesus got up from the meal, midway through the meal, seemingly. Why? Probably because there's still this tension in the room. Probably because there's like an argument, there's the backbite, who knows? I mean, there's this whispering on the table. And Jesus does this. He gets up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, like his like, suit coat, you know, like kind of like nice clothes, if you will, right? Took it off and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet and then drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. All right, so here's what's happening. He gets up. He stopped what he was doing. Maybe he had like some chicken in his mouth, you know, the lamb that was in it, eating, you know, the food. Maybe there's some music playing in the background. I don't know. Like he's just trying to have a good time, trying to, but at the same time, maybe he's slightly distracted. I mean, I've been there. I know what it's like when I got a lot on my mind. I mean, I'm just reading into like humanity, right? And then none of that's here, but try to put yourself in this space, like, you're out at a nice family dinner, but there's been arguing going on. You know there's a big thing going up, going, coming up. You just It's hard to be in the moment sometimes. We don't know what, what's going on in Jesus' mind. But whatever in this moment, he gets up, he stops what he's doing, and he decides to put others ahead of, him, of, of himself, and he washes their feet. Why would he choose that? Why did he wash the disciples' feet? Well, Think about common courtesy when you go to somebody's house, right? If you're going to someone's house for an event, especially a special event, what are the things that they say? Can I take your coat? 
from you, right? That's something that's common. Can I get you a drink? Can I offer you something to drink? These are common things. Um, oftentimes what they would do, especially in Italian culture, or even in this time, they would greet each other with a kiss. They would say, hello, right? They kiss each other, give hugs. We do these things. These are the kinds of things that we do when we welcome people into our, into our home. Well, in this culture, would you like your feet washed? It sounds weird. Sounds really strange, but it was a very common thing. It's no different than greeting someone with a hug or a kiss or offering to take their coat or to give them a drink. Washing their feet was a very common thing because they, were, they didn't have feet covering most of the time. Usually they were wearing sandals with straps around them. They were mostly dirt roads. We're in the Middle East. Talk about dust storms, right? Like we were talking about earlier in West Texas. I mean, they're out in the Middle East. It's just dirt and sand, right? I mean... This is not in modern times, so there weren't really paved roads. If, if they were lucky, they had main roads from the Roman Empire that had kind of paved, not paving, but like brick or stonework, you know, that was in maybe the major spaces. Most likely there was animals dropping, you know, animal droppings all over the ground everywhere they went. There was overgrowth from plants and sort of weeds that were growing up on it. There was dirt everywhere. If it had rained recently or even it was just, you know, like water dumped out, it's muddy. So you walk into someone's house and the first thing you want to do is wash your feet. And usually there would be, if you were in like rich homes, you know, like, like uppity places, you'd have a servant, but most people don't. And so there would be a basin there and the host of the home would offer to wash your feet. So Jesus in the middle of this meal, right? Could have called for a servant. Perhaps there was one at the host of the home. They, Jesus told him to find somewhere to go. He said, find me a place, and there's a man who will be uh, off for his home for this meal. Maybe there was a servant there. He could have called for the servant to do this low and humiliating task. I mean, if you've ever gone to a pedicure, you know, think about how nasty people's feet are. Here, can you file my toes down? You know, like, touching your feet. Can you like, you know, get all the calluses off the bottom, all that. That's what pedicures are. That's what it's like. You know, that's what it would be like. And so Jesus instead takes their, takes their, their feet that have been, who knows where, who knows what they've stepped in. And he takes the cloth, the serving apron, like a servant. And he takes their feet into his hands and washes them, puts water all over them and washes them and wipes them out and uses the towel to dry them and puts it on his own body. And so Peter, in that moment, is proud of his own Savior and says, no, Lord, no. Like, I won't have you touch my feet. This is beneath you. This is humiliating to you. And Jesus reminds him. It's like, do you remember, were you even listening to the conversation that, I've, that we've had? Like, no, it seems like you were too busy arguing that you walked on water and did this incredible thing to forget that, like, that, that I didn't come here so that you could walk on water. I came here to teach you a lesson and to show you that you are a, to be a servant. You won't be clean, he says, unless I wash all of you. And then Peter kind of has this weird moment where he says, well, then wash all of me, right? You know, which is great. So Jesus bends down, washes the dirty, smelly, filthy feet. And I want to just, I want to pause here for a second. I want to give you the context, like just a little bit of the scope maybe of what we're talking about here. I want to throw out some of the names of Jesus, okay? 
Jesus, the Son of God. He's been called the bread of life. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the living water, the light of the world. He's our great high priest. He's the Lamb of God. He's the living stone. He's the righteous judge. He's the true vine, the King of glory, the chosen one. He's the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He's the Alpha. He is the Omega. He is our Redeemer. He is our rock. He's our sanctification. He's our righteousness. And what does he do? He kneels and washes feet. He did not come to be served, but to serve. And he says, this is how much I love you. I would do anything. And then it says what we saw that John said. He says he loved them to the end. He was willing to, to put himself to the lowest possible space. What do we see in the other parts of the scripture in the epistles? It says that he emptied himself of what it was his. He had the right to be served. He had the right to sit on the throne. He had the right. He could have just broken open the skies and demanded and forced every single being to bow at his feet. That's what other gods do. He could have done that, but he didn't. Instead, he chose to willingly empty his divinity, to empty himself, and to take on the flesh of a human being, right? And then he took on a life of, of one who would be humiliated, one who would be mocked, and he did it so that he could set an example for his followers so that long after he was gone, that each one of us would take up the mantle, would take up the servant's apron, would take off our outer garment that we have a right to. We are now children of God. We are now holy and righteous. We are now have authority. We have, a, have the privilege of, of being like, 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 like filled with grace and, 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 and beauty and wonder. That's who we are. And yet he says, take all of that off, put on the servant clothing and serve those around you. Jesus loved them until the end. Who is the greatest among you? The one who serves. The one who serves. And so if you think about in our own lives, the spaces in which we can serve, and this is really hard for me. I'm a naturally selfish person. I naturally want to relax. I naturally avoid difficulty. I love efficiency probably because efficiency and effectiveness causes me to do less work. This is who I am. You know, I'm not the first one to jump in when there's a task that needs done. I usually wait to see if somebody else can do it first. I'm just being honest with you. Maybe somebody else in on the call is, is like that. I have gotten better at this over time. Maturity certainly helps with that. Um, but this is a challenge. Would I be the one to, to serve? Would I be the one to take off my nice clothes and get in the dirt? Would I be the one to put myself in uncomfortable situations? Would I be the first one to jump up to say that? Think about all of these kinds of things. What is it that is available to be done? And to say, hey, I got this. This one's mine. Your friend needs help moving. I can do that. That one's mine. There's somebody in your life who needs spiritual guidance. I got this. I can do that. There's somebody who needs help in the nursery or in the kids' room. I got this. I'll help out. I'll do that. And I'm not just talking about, you know, church. I'm talking about anywhere, anywhere that there is, there is a space. I remember at the church that I first started my ministry career, if you will, when I was a youth pastor, 
um, we would have these regular <coughs> monthly or biweekly outreaches where we would go out and pack out, pass out hand, um, uh, gum packets to people, like uh, acts of kindness kind of thing. We'd put pieces of like packs of gum on people's windshields or doors with little 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 stickers that would say just because we love you no strings attached from our church or whatever but there was always a group of them led by our senior pastor and I think it was because of this passage specifically that would go to gas stations and they would clean the toilets of gas stations they would walk in to the gas station you know clerk and they would say hey we would love to wash your toilets and they would look at him like he's crazy irrational acts of love right and they'd be like what you know, and he said, no, like, seriously, we're here to do this. And they would do it. And they would go in there into the nasty, filthy bathrooms of gas stations. Why? Why a gas station? Well, and I asked him and he said, because I think a modern day washing feet is like, like washing toilets, if you will. I know it's not a one-to-one -one connection, you know, direct correlation, but if you get, you get the drift here, right? And the, something that I thought was so interesting about it is that there was such joy in their hearts about it. They made it like an excitement thing. Hey, who's coming with us to wash toilets today? And there would be people who would jump at it. How does that happen? How does that happen? Like, I can see some of your faces. They're like, you know, and I get it. I totally get it. I have like this, like this nasty, like, like this horrible, like trigger in my mind of it. My mom used to make me wash toilets in our house um, for punishment. So I have a like P PTSD for this, you know, kind of a, kind of a thing. Like I just, um, how does someone go from, from like wanting to pack, hand out packets of gum to being somebody who's excited to go to the gas station and clean, clean nasty toilets? There is something that happens in our heart, something supernatural that cannot be explained that Jesus does in our lives, something transformative that happens when we give ourselves over wholly to him. He meets us in those spaces and we see him begin to work. We begin to see him, you know, our hands transform into the hands of Jesus, you know, symbolically. And then our heart becomes transformed because we see the heart of someone else be transformed through that radical, irrational act of love. And it could be a toilet or it could be exposing yourself to, to completely uncomfortable neighborhoods um, that, you, that you have never really been to and serving there and loving them. I remember going to Chicago on a, on a missions trip as a youth pastor. I took our church there and we went to, um, to, to the projects. And I remember like going to where someone lived and in their home, there were cockroaches climbing the walls. There were chicken bones, old chicken bones behind the couch that they had just thrown there and they'd forgotten about them and there were bugs everywhere and it smelled terrible. And we were there to help paint the, to paint on the walls so that they could, cause they were going to tear the buildings down. This is this. And I think about it now, I think about it now, the, and I don't want to get it too much, too much into the, into systemic racism today, but I think about it now that the government was forcing the people to paint and clean up their homes before they would tear them down because they were tearing the buildings down to build new ones. And I think what a slap in the face to these people. Like, I don't know, maybe I'm off base here, but I took it that way. Why do you wanna make them paint the space that you're gonna just destroy just because you wanna let them know how gross they are? Is that what you're trying to do? Like that made me so angry even at the time. But, but 
But in that moment, I remember thinking even then, like, I'm here to serve. And as much as I wanted to, like, wretch outside the door, right? Because of, like, I'm not used to that. I don't live in a house where I've got roaches climbing on the wall. I throw away my chicken bones. I, you know, I, I, I don't live in that environment. And yet, here I am. Now, here's what happened. When we got there, the people who were in our particular unit, they were pretty defensive. Rightly so, right? I'm here to clean up your house. How would you feel if someone knocked on your door and said, in order for you to keep your mortgage or to pay your rent, we're going to paint your walls for you, clean up your house? Like, I get it, right? And all we wanted to say to them was, I mean, in, 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 in the beginning, it was really, it was really hard. It was, it was uncomfortable. We're like, hey, you know, we're, we just, we just want to help. We're just here to help you. Um, our understanding is, is that the, the walls need painted um, so that you can move into a, a nicer place. I, I don't know. We're just here to help. And so we just started doing it. We pulled the couch off from the wall. We picked up the different, you know, like trash and litter that was around, threw it away. Didn't make any faces about it. Just, just, just started talking to them. Just started showing them love. Just started just, just having conversation, talking to their kids about the games they were they're playing, a little video game system, and took a break and sat down and maybe played the game with the kid and, or um, offered a bottle of water to, to the mom, you know, and just started having conversations. You know, have you lived here a long time? Whatever. And we're just painting. I remember one time I actually painted over a little cockroach. It was like stuck into that wall. It was crazy, crazy situations, right? But imagine taking off the outer garment putting on the, the servant's apron. My hands are filthy, nasty, but keeping my eye on the task, looking at the people who were in the house because that's why we were there. By the end of it, laughing, smiling, being able to have a connection, a holy connection with this family because of I'm being Jesus to them. Hat changed my life forever. And I believe set me on a path to where I am today. The transformation that's been happening in my life over the past months and years in relation to racism and my, my relation of how I pastor this church has transformed me because I got to a place of where I was. This is not too far beyond me. And now, while there's still the sin that lives inside of me that wants to keep me in my comfortable space, there is the natural tendency to not want to sign up for projects or lead projects that take me to places that are uncomfortable. There is an aspect of me that gets excited that says, yes, I want to go do that because that's where, that's where real change happens. That's how transformation happens. And I believe that as John is writing retrospectively, right? John's looking back over his life. What do I want to tell? future years of Christians, people who have come to know Jesus, what do I want to tell them about Jesus? Oh, that time that he washed my feet, that time that he went to the cross for me, the times when he was being beaten or whipped, almost every single one of the apostles that are in this room were murdered for their faith, and they did it willingly. Tradition says that Peter was hung upside down on a cross, you know, like these guys, it wasn't just like they died of old age. Most of them were tortured and were told to renounce their faith. I have to believe that in those moments, they flashed back Jesus' love to the end. 
he loved us to the end. He loved us to the end. I got to make it to the end. And so when Peter or when Paul says, right, the race that is marked out for me, I will run the race. I will finish the race. He's linking back to this dinner. He's thinking back to this time where his Savior took off his garments and put on the the, 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 the servant's robe got on the ground and wiped their nasty, filthy feet and then went to the cross the next day and then said, like we said last week, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The example of our Savior, the example of Jesus, had come to serve, not to be served. And I think about my life in my nice house, in my nice neighborhood, in my nice air conditioning, in my nice clothes, all of which are blessings, and I thank God for them. And we should be grateful and thankful. We don't need to apologize for the things that God has given us that we are thankful and blessed to have, but we should never confuse them that we are better than other people or that they should keep us from the people who have other things. And I am just as guilty as anyone else of not taking the time to go and to serve other people. I need to be the one. You need to be the one that sees a need and says, I will be that one. Today, it's my job to clean the toilets. Today it's my job to give my money. Today it's my job to take time away from what I was going to go do and help that person. We have to be those people because when we meet them, we'll be able to see the transformation in their heart. It may not be the first time, but if we show up consistently and show them that we love them, that's how things change. Coincidentally, that's also how marriages that are broken get fixed. When a husband or a wife who has been selfish or who has not done the things that need to be done, when their marriage is broken, when the husband or the wife begins to serve the spouse, not to get something, but does it over and over and over again to show love, the transformation that comes in that marriage happens because the Holy Spirit now begins to work when you're serving. That's the whole idea of that, that movie. I can't remember what it was called. The, the, the one where the, where the husband and the wife um, and the husband like just serves his wife over and over again and their marriage is restored. I know it seems cliched, but, but that's how it happens. Go ahead. You wanted to tell me the name of the movie? It's called Fireproof. Fireproof. That was it. <laughs> I'm getting emotional. I don't know. I just, I see the world that we live in. And there's a lot of yelling, a lot of anger, there's a lot of division. And there is something to be said for righteous conviction and speaking out, okay? I'm not saying that we shouldn't. I've done my fair share of that, and I'm doing that because I feel it's important to speak truth. But I, I don't know. I mean, the cliche, your actions speak louder than words, right? Love. DC talk. Love is a verb. Jesus said a lot of things, but what do they remember? What, what does the world remember about, about Jesus? They know that he gave his life. They know that he, that he loved people deeply. And so when we serve, we need to do it with the right heart. It's part of the reason why we have the serving rotation at our church. You know, we want everyone to know that there is, there's, there's something to do, that we're all part of this together. But I'm not naive enough to think that there aren't certain things that are more fun than others. So it's like when your week comes up and you're in kids, 
you know, it's like, mm, there's a sacrifice there. I don't get to be in the, I don't get to be in the service. You know, I don't get to, to hear the, the amazing teaching. <laughs> um, you know, it's hard for me. I don't, maybe I'm not good with kids or whatever. You know, when we were, when we were in buildings meeting on Sunday mornings, you know, maybe, you know, setting up chairs or doing the signs, you know, those are not fun things. They're hard. You get sweaty, but I'm wearing a nice shirt today. I don't, I don't want to get sweaty. Like I get it. I get it. But you think Jesus wanted to do that? Do you think Jesus wanted to like get nails in his hands? It's not a Jesus juke. It's true. Like, do you think he wanted to be beaten up? Do you think he wanted to like have like poop on his hands? Like from like washing someone's feet? Do you think he wanted to do that? No. But he knew that it was the way. He knew that that was the road to transformation. When we serve, we need to do it with the right heart. We need to say it's not about us. It's not about me. It's about what we're doing. The gifts that God has given us, the talents that we have, they're not about us. You're serving and it's not about you. You don't need to be seen when you do it. You don't need to be acknowledged when you do it. You don't need to be repaid when you do it. It's not just about actions. It's about attitudes. The way that we serve matters. The heart in it matters, especially the Lord. He knows what our heart is. And so when I think about the things in our lives that we want desperately to like get fixed, you know, I would submit that serving in love is maybe even the most effective way to find change that you're looking for. Here's a couple examples. I would submit that if you want to change your marriage, serve your spouse. If you want to change your friendships, like your relationships with other people, serve them. If you want to find meaning in life, you feel like you don't have purpose, begin to serve and you'll begin to see that God will use you and your talents and your gifts in ways that you maybe never experienced before. You want to make a difference in the world? Serve people. Serve organizations that are trying to make a difference. You want to glorify Jesus in your life? Be a servant. Wherever you want to see transformation, serve in that space. John 13, chapter 1. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them until the end. He loved them until the end. He looked around the room and what did he see? He saw proud hearts and dirty feet. And he said, I can do this. This one's mine. That was his reaction. This one's mine. I got this. He saw a need. He got up. He met it. That's what servants do. So to love like Jesus means not only to forgive sinners, to turn the other cheek, to pray for those who have hurt us, to take the hand off of the throat of those who we have a right to feel angry with, to hold, to not hold it against them, to love them, to pray for them, to forgive them. But it also means to serve them, to go out of our way to serve those who have, who, who have either hurt us. Because remember, Jesus washed the feet of Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. 
he knew that Judas was going to betray him, what, a half an hour from them, from that time? Maybe not even that. That might have been the next thing that happened. <laughs> like, just, whoop, you know? And he did it. Forgive sinners, wash his feet. Wash his feet being insert here for whatever need there is, whatever dirty, disgusting, difficult, hard, painful thing is there. I got this. That one's mine. Make it a game. Let's try to do this together. Be the first one to do it. When there's a need, who's going to get their hand raised the fastest? But what about... But what about if I'm always the one? Don't worry about that. Let God take care of that. What if I don't want to be the doormat? I don't want to. No, don't worry about that. Let God handle that. You be the one to say, I will, I will, I will. And watch how God transforms your life, transforms other people's lives through you. It's a challenge for me. It's a challenge for all of us. To learn to love like Jesus is to be a servant. Would you close your eyes and pray with me? Oh, man, Jesus, you set the bar so high, so high. God, I repent. I repent of my selfishness. I repent of my unwillingness to, to, to serve, unwillingness to step up when it was my turn to allow others to do it before me, to look for others to do it, to just look around the room. I repent of remaining silent. I, rem I repent of, of just seeing needs and just refusing to do anything about it. And I'm ashamed of that. I don't want to live in shame because that's not who we are, but I want to admit it, confess it, and ask for your grace and your mercy. And that like John, I would see back over the times of my life that I have served and seen the transformation. God, I want to look back at, at, at John, the book of John and the other gospels that talk about the crucifixion and how you gave your life. And I want that to be seared into my mind, just like it was for the apostles who lived it, who saw it, who witnessed it. And it fueled them to lay down their lives throughout the rest of their life. And ultimately for many of them to give it physically because of you, for you so that others might find you. But may that be the case for me. May that be the case for us. And so for each of us gathered here today, may we, may we allow your Holy Spirit to convict us of our own sin, of our own selfishness, and call us to a place of servitude, of washing feet, would you bring to light right now even images in our mind of ways that each of us individually and corporately as a church can serve in the greatest of spaces? May you make us be servants to love like Jesus. In this difficult age, in this time right now where the world needs love with hands and feet more than ever, it feels that way, may we be people of love people who serve and wash his feet. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.